We're talking about preparations for Christmas. And last week we talked about preparing your home. I hope you feel prepared now. You know that your house is ready. Uh, it was interesting because I got a lot of follow-up questions from that sermon. Um, and none of them were about the sermon. It was all like, could you tell me again, what's that ice cream you mentioned? You know, a bunch of backslidden Baptists, you know, thinking about your guts. It's Publix, Santa's White Christmas, Publix. It's Publix premium brand. You go get it at Publix, only at Publix. Publix, if you're listening, I'll be a spokesperson. Um, many of you asked me about the little Debbies, the Christmas trees. You're confused because there's chocolate and there's original. Now the original is the, the white cake and the new ones are the chocolate cake. I like them both. Uh, you can try those out. And I, was in, I would say that uh, I was falsely accused by one of our deacons of eating a whole box of those by myself. He found them in the trash can downstairs. Our students ate those this week. I've not consumed any Little Debbies at church this week, I promise you. But if there's any left over and you find them, you know where to bring them. So, good things about that. As we look at Luke 1, I want you to think about Christmas in this way today. How do we prepare our hearts? It's one thing to prepare our homes. It's another thing to prepare our hearts for what God might be doing in this season of Advent. We talked about it last week. The Advent season and the wreath and everything that we're lighting over here gives us a picture of Christ coming and our hope that he's coming again, right? And our hope is not, man, I hope that he makes it back. Our hope is fixed. You remember what Hebrews says, right? Hope is the things that we're assured of, right? That, that, that's the truth for us in Christ. We know he's coming back because he said he was coming and he did, he's coming back. And so as we think about preparing our hearts for Christmas at this time of year, maybe it's a, a question for us to answer like this. What pops into mind when you think about the emotions and everything about our heart that comes around Christmas? I mean, do you think of like a sappy Hallmark Christmas movie? Is that what you think about when you think about your heart being prepared for Christmas? Then maybe there'll be a, a nice bow tied on some story that you're trying to, to watch and, 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 and maybe play out in your own life. Or, or is, it, is it just an emotive kind of thing that we should be cheery and bright? I think it's much deeper than that. And I want to think about preparing our hearts for Christmas from Mary's life. Last week, we looked at the life of her cousin and cousin-in-law, Zechariah and Elizabeth, as they were given some great news by Gabriel the angel. And we're going to see Gabriel again. If you have your Bibles, we're in verse 26 of chapter 1 this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this should be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless for nothing will be impossible for God. 
I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. When we look at preparing from Mary's point of view, what it means to have a prepared heart, I think there are four things we see, and two of them come directly from this passage, and two of them come from the passage that Kirk referenced in our reading this morning from what's called the Magnificat later in chapter one, and and we'll look at that in just a minute. But I want you to think this morning with me about preparing your heart with faith and preparing your heart with obedience, preparing your heart with praise, and preparing your heart with the word. And so if we start with the idea of preparing your heart with faith, we begin to see this displayed immediately in Mary's life. Mary was engaged, and you've probably heard this before if you've been in a church around Christmas, but that word engaged is not exactly the same way that we think about it in the States here in the United States. To to be engaged in the States means that we're preparing to be married, but if you were to break off that engagement, there's no legal filing that has to take place. It's just, you know, hey, this didn't really work out and we can kind of choose to go our separate ways. And, And it's different in the scriptures because you may have heard this word used betrothed, right? So there was this idea that something had happened. And if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, not trivia for you this morning, where are the birth narratives of Christ found? It's only in Matthew and Luke, right? Not in Mark and John like this. But as you look at it in Matthew, what do you see? You see a man named Joseph, and he finds out that Mary, his betrothed, is with child. And you remember what the scripture said? He didn't want to disgrace her because he was a righteous man, and he wanted to put her away quietly. There was a legal ramification to what he was thinking about. Uh, It was a serious time in her life to show up. And I think this is often lost on us. You know, we get excited about God's will in our lives, but sometimes it gets a little complicated, doesn't it? When God begins leading us to places and, and, and he speaks to us about things, it gets a little complicated. Can you imagine that conversation with Joseph? Hey, I've got wonderful news. I'm pregnant. I don't think that's good news. No, it's wonderful. God's doing something. Yeah, right. I mean, you you can imagine. This is a terribly difficult situation for them to navigate. But God wasn't just speaking to Mary. Matthew tells us that God was speaking to Joseph as well, right? And he was saying, don't put her away. This is of God. You keep doing the right thing. And, And the Bible says that they were blessed by this. But imagine the amount of faith that it took. Context tells us, based on what scholars have learned from from the time period of which Mary and Joseph were living, that Mary's a teenager, right? She's a young woman, because that's kind of the age that people were getting married is in their teenage years. So this is a, a, a culturally complex issue for her to deal with. And if you notice from last week, there's some similarities to the passage, aren't there? Gabriel's been a busy boy, right? He's the angel who's the mouthpiece of the Lord and he's gone and he's spoken to Zechariah and, and he starts the same way, doesn't he? Don't be afraid. And he starts the same way with Mary. Here he is again. Don't be afraid. He's delivering God's plan. But I want you to notice some of the similarities as well. Did you notice that Zechariah had some questions last week? And Mary had a question, but the tone of the questions is different, and I think it makes all the difference in the world, and and I want you to see them. If if we could just look back in our Bibles, it'll be on the screen. At verse 18, this is Zechariah talking. When Gabriel said, your wife's going to have a child, Zechariah said, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am old, and my wife is well along in years. How can I know this? In other words, I'm not sure about this, right? 
How, how can you promise me that this is going to happen? It, it's, a, it's a different kind of question. Look at how Mary asked the question in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? She's saying there's something that's got to be miraculous here. It can't happen because I know my integrity and I know who I am. But Mary had faith in this matter and it's actually incredible because she actually takes God at his word and what he's saying. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember. You know, Zechariah didn't have faith that it would. Mary had a wonder in her faith. There's a difference, isn't there, between having a questioning spirit about God and having a wonderment about what God's doing. Mary had a wonder. She was saying, I'm trying to wait how this is gonna work out because I know who I am. And God was saying, I'm gonna do something in your life. Getting on God's agenda always requires faith. It always requires faith to see what God's doing because when we get on God's agenda, it often is the departure from our agenda as we talked about last week when we're trying to, to understand God's plan. If we get on God's agenda, it requires faith. And, and just if you need a, a little refresher in that, could I encourage you today to turn to the book of Hebrews and read it this afternoon in chapter 11 especially. As we talk about the evidences of faith, you see that all of the people that are mentioned in the Old Testament, they overcame by faith, right? They, they were seeing God's agenda through the lens of faith. Uh, Abraham had to have faith. Moses had to have faith. Joshua had to have faith. Gideon, Esther, Mary, and you. It takes faith to believe that God is doing something. And when we talk about Christmas, to approach Christmas without great faith, it's really a diminishing effect on why Jesus came. He came so that our faith would, would, would have a resting place, right? You remember the hymn, my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed, right? It's, it's not in, in just what we say or what we believe. It's in the person of Jesus. Our faith should, should be strengthened during this season. Christmas should awaken our faith. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you don't have a relationship with God the Father, you have to understand that that's why Christmas exists for us. So, so that our faith would be awakened through a child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And you may be saying, I mean, do you really believe this? I absolutely believe it. 100% I believe it. I believe that Mary and Joseph experienced a miracle in their life and that, that she carried the Lord Most High in her womb. And I believe that he came so that we might know God the Father. And Jesus is the, the physical representation for us of God the Father. He is the Lord of all, God's own son. When we were talking about this yesterday with Lighthouse Christian Camp and I was talking to the young ladies that were in the room, I, I asked them to say something with me and, and maybe I'm gonna ask you to say it with me too if you don't mind. W would you just repeat this with me? God loves me. Now say it like you mean it. God loves me. Say it again, God loves me. How do you know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. We understand that God loves us and that he's demonstrated his love for us in the baby Jesus who grew to be the Messiah Christ, right? Who, who died in our place, who rose from the dead, so we see this, it ought to awaken our faith. And if you've never had your faith awakened during this holiday season before, I wanna invite you today to give your life to Christ. Put your faith in him because for us to know God the Father, it only comes through Christ the Son. It doesn't happen any other way. 
So let that arise in you. Let your faith be awakened. But I, I challenge those of us who are believers this morning for our faith to be reawakened. You say, what does that mean, our faith to be reawakened? Faith is a funny thing, isn't it? Right? Moses had a lot of faith at times. Do you remember? He would go and stand before the great Pharaoh and declare that there was going to be a plague. And God released the people. And then Moses got to the Red Sea and did what you would have done and what I would have done. Thanks a lot, Lord. Where are you now? Here we are. We're stuck. He needed his faith to be reawakened, right? Do you remember when they were traveling through the wilderness for those 40 years? There was a time when the people began to grumble. We don't have what we want to eat. God, what are you going to do? You got to feed these people. How are you going to do it? I can't do it. God, we're thirsty. How are you going to do it? We're always bumping up against things that challenge our faith. That's how it is for every believer throughout all history. The faith of yesterday is a building block to get us to the next thing, but it doesn't carry us through the next thing. You see what I mean? Our faith has to be reawakened constantly, constantly cultivated, constantly nurtured. I'll tell you how it shows up in my life. You know, last year about this time, we began asking you as a congregation to pray that God would move on the hearts of men and women and, and boys and girls so that we could begin to see him do a great thing and people would be saved and then they would be baptized and set on a road to discipleship. Do you remember that? And we saw God do that last year. We saw our baptisms increase by almost 50% over the year before. I mean, incredible things that God did. God was working in the lives of, of men and women. And, and we finished the year and you know what my first thought is? Wow, that was an incredible year. Be hard to top that. Man, that was great, Lord. And we don't say it this way, but do you ever, I mean, do you, maybe it's just me, not you, probably not you, just me. I don't see how you could do any better than you did last year, Lord. I don't think you could top that. Where's the faith in that? Do you find yourself doing that? God, well, you got us through last time, but I, I don't see how you could do it this time. God, you, we, we need our faith reawakened constantly to trust the Lord, to do great things in our lives and, and through the ministries that he's given us and through our family's lives and through our work lives and all those things, it requires our faith. So we need to prepare our faith this year that as Christmas comes, it won't just be just a day, but that our heart will be ready by prepared faith. But there was also a prepared obedience that we see in Mary's life. When you think about your heart being prepared at Christmas, I doubt that the first thing that jumps to the top of your list is the idea of a prepared obedience, but it's actually all throughout the story. You see, it's, it's not just Mary, it's Joseph. It's not just Mary and Joseph, it's the wise men, right? They, they, they follow a star being told by the Lord, warned by God, they don't go back and tell uh, Herod where this baby is. It's the shepherds who leave their flocks by night and immediately go as the angels have told them that they're constantly obeying the Lord. It's Mary and Joseph as they go throughout their lives. But I want you to see something from this passage of scripture that I think is amazing what Mary says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. 
Do you imagine that would have been your response? I've thought about, I mean, I don't know. Do you not do these things? Y'all stare at me like I'm crazy when I talk like this. Y'all just like this. I mean, do you not put yourself in the story? Am I the only one who's sitting there going, no way, am I like, yeah, cool, thanks God. Cool angel, we're pregnant, no big deal. It's great, moving right along, yeah. I find myself going, wow, what an amazing young woman who would look at the Lord and simply say, I mean, what a verse of scripture. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, you underline it. You ask God to, to make that true in your life. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. What she's saying is, I'm in your hands. Do with me what you want. What a prayer. What a statement. She's going to obey the Lord in the circumstances that he's providing for her. And no matter what, she's going to do it. I, I think about that and it amazes me because I think oftentimes the people that I identify with in the scripture the most, I mean, like, do you remember we've been talking about Moses a lot this morning? There's a lot of deliverance kind of parallels in Moses' life, right? He's all throughout the scripture in the Old Testament. It's talking about how God delivered the children of Israel through Moses' ministry. God did it through Moses' ministry. Do you remember Moses and his first encounter with the Lord at the burning bush? Go back and tell Pharaoh, uh-uh, wrong person. You, you, you got the wrong address here, Lord, I'm, not me. You know, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I got a lot of questions. And, and by the way, I have this speech thing going on and and, and a lot of people guess at what that is. Maybe Moses had a little bit of a speech impediment or, or, or maybe his, his brain would run faster than his mouth could keep up or, or he was just nervous, you know? I mean, we don't know, but, but he kind of talked about this idea of being kind of thick-tongued, right? I mean, he had some things going on. Mary looks at this and just says, may it be. Thank you, Lord. I will obey. May it be. This past week, as we've been talking about joy, we were having some conversations. It centers around joy in, in our staff work right now with our pastors. Because we believe this word is crucial for us, not just at Christmas, but for next year. We think this word joy is, is something the Lord is trying to do in our lives, your lives, our church life, you know, and, and this is this is something that that we're really kind of trying to zero in on and hear what the Lord has for us. And Pastor Nathan was, was reading a, a book, a passage out of a book to me this week on the celebration of disciplines, and one of them is, was joy. And the author was making the statement that the reason we need joy is because it helps us to not take ourselves so seriously and take the Lord very seriously. That's a, that's a funny viewpoint on that, isn't it? But then he said something and I was like, ah, the old hymn, right? Do you remember it? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, a lot of times in our lives as, as we approach these holidays and we want it to be joyous and festive, you know how to make that happen is obey the Lord. Trust the Lord. Be prepared in your heart with faith and be prepared in your heart with obedience, to do what the word says, to, to, to flourish where God has placed you as, as a great employee, as a, as a great husband, as a great wife, as a great mother, grandmother, grandfather, friend, whatever it is, so that you can impact where you're at, so that we might have what Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. What does that mean? I'm not in charge. 
you do what you want. I'll serve you right here. This is what you have for me? Okay. Never heard of this before. This is pretty unique. Great. I've got it. And may it be done according to your word. May everything that you've spoken to me happen according to your word. Can I encourage you to prepare your heart with obedience? The joy of the Lord is found in obeying him. The joy of the Lord is not found in, in, in a great worship service. The joy of the Lord, I mean, we, this is not a pep rally, right? Where we just kind of whip ourselves up into a frenzy and then leave here and hope it lasts us till Wednesday and then you come back in Wednesday and get another shot of a pep rally. We can't, I mean, that's not what we're trying to accomplish, is it? The joy of the Lord comes in obeying him and walking with him. Prepare your heart with obedience. Prepare with faith, prepare with obedience, prepare with praise. This young lady understood exactly what it meant to praise the Lord. Would you look with me in Luke chapter one in verse 46, Mary's praise. This is called the Magnificat. Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices, there's that word again, joy, in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Who's the focus on? Mary gets this good news. She's just been with her cousin Elizabeth in the preceding verses and she stops and pauses for just a minute and the focus immediately goes to the Lord. Notice how she starts it. It, it ought to be a familiar refrain for us because she says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, magnifies, makes great. You know, we, 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 we think about it in terms of, of what it means to have magnification. What does it do? It sharpens an image and it kind of expands it so that we're able to see it. If you have a magnifying glass, it doesn't do you any good to look at the landscape like this, does it? It has to focus on something and you get your full attention on it. And, and the magnifying glass, it's like somebody that's a stamp collector, right? They have a magnifying glass or a jeweler wears a jeweler's loop is what they call, right? Why do they do that? It lets them see the intricacies of what they're looking at. It's not for seeing the broadness of it, it's the intricacies of it. And what she's saying here is, I want to pray. I mean, I want to praise the Lord. More of him, less of me. And she's rejoicing. There's that word, I keep saying it, joy. She knew it wasn't about her. That's why she said the humble condition of the servant. He's blessed me. Yes, he did it for me, but it's about the Lord. And she understood that. She understood that the mighty one had done great things for her. You know, prairies and, and worship for the Lord is not to be held back. You remember that when Jesus was entering the city, like Luke 19, 40 records it by saying that the people were telling Jesus, you need to have your followers be quiet. They shouldn't be praising you. What were they saying? Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. What did Jesus say? If they keep silent, the rocks will cry out. If they keep silent, the rocks will cry out. What is he saying when he says that? And what is Mary tapping into that she doesn't even know yet fully, right? Uh, the God of the universe created this world 
And Jesus is saying, they know me. (laughs) Every one of these little rocks, they know me. You know why they know me? Because I was there when they were made. I had a hand in that. John 1 tells us that everything that came through into creation didn't exist apart from Jesus. It came through him. There's a creative aspect of of the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus is part of that. And, and, And there's this familiar refrain, and that's why he says, the rocks will cry out. Why? Because if we keep silent, creation knows who he is. All creation declares the glory of the Lord. But I'm gonna tell you something. I don't need a rock to cry out for me. I don't need anybody to take my place. Our hearts should overflow with praise. And it's a decision that we make as we prepare for Christmas. Uh, don't, don't run into Christmas and miss that. Don't, don't run into Christmas and, and, and think that what we're doing is, is somehow a, a show or a presentation. Even next Sunday night when you come and you hear all of the music and all of the stuff that everybody's prepared, why are we doing that? It's to set our hearts towards praise, not to entertain you. I hope that you get some entertainment value out of it like you should feel like that was nice sure that's not the point though the point is so that it tunes your heart to sing his praise we praise the lord of the universe we're praising the lord who reigns over all we're praising the god who has created us the one who has sustained us the one who breathes life in us and mary understood that as she said my soul praises or magnifies the greatness of the lord my spirit rejoices in god he looked on me with favor in the humble condition of his servant surely now all the generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy set apart worthy to be praised As a believer, there is no place for us to come into the house of the Lord and wait for other people to do the praising of the Lord for us. There's no place for us to sit back and say, well, it's not really how I'm feeling today. Listen, our response to the Lord is worship and praising him. And we prepare our hearts for Christmas when we prepare with praise. The final thing I want you to see comes from these last few verses And I want you to see how Mary was prepared with the word and we need to be prepared with the word. His mercy in verse 50 is from every generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and the exalted, the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. If your Bible is like mine, I have on each page two columns, and in the center there is a center column with a bunch of little verses in reference. And as you read the scripture, what you begin to see is for instance, in, in my Bible, in verse 46, the cross references are found in the scripture with little letters. There's C, there's I, there's J, there's K. It runs all the way down through. And when we, when we finish this, it finishes at you with all the cross references. Mary's grabbing all of these things, the word of God implanted in her life, and she's synthesizing it for us and giving it back to us. And here's what she's quoting. This is the amazing thing. She's not direct quoting exactly all these scriptures, but she's grabbing snippets of them and throwing them together. And they're all from the Psalms and they're all from the prophets. The Psalms sung 
in praise and prayer to the Lord. The prophets, the foretelling of what God was doing. This isn't someone who had to ask, hey, what's going on? What's God doing? What, what, what's this about? Why is that? Because the word had been deeply planted in her life. At least I surmise that. It doesn't exactly say it, but from what she says, God's bringing to bear all of these things. And, and, and this is an important thing for us to see because when you know the Bible and the word of God is deeply implanted in your life, it's amazing how it begins to pop off the pages of the word and pop off the pages of your life and it begins to make connections. So what happens most of the time in my life, when I start with the word, it's amazing how God uses that word through the day. God uses it to make connections for me on things that I wouldn't normally see. God uses it and says, remember, you, you looked at that this morning. I did that on purpose. Are you ready for what this is? Do you see it? You see, when the words in our, in our lives, and, and it's not just something that we're kind of familiar with, when we're intimately familiar with it, what begins to happen is that the Holy Spirit begins to bring that to bear in our lives. And as we come to Christmas, we talk about this, we, we say it like this, we want the word of God to become alive in your life. You know, we, we want you to be a, a people of the book. When you're part of this church, we want you to be a people of the book. We want you to know the word of God. We want you to be prepared for this because we want you to see the situational circumstances of your life and contextualize those with what God's doing in the word and what he's saying in the word. Because if you start here, you'll understand the world. Start in the word and you'll understand the world. Well, how could that be? Because the word is timeless. It's eternal. You ever spoken something and wish you could have it back? No, it's just me again. I know. Y'all, man, I'm so blessed to have such a holy church, you know? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all these wonderful people who are perfect. Thank you. No, it's just me, right? You know the feeling, right? Foot in mouth. You wish you could, you wish you could rewind that one and grab it back, right? Let your mind be blown with this for just a second. God's never done that. You thought about that? When the word of God is spoken, it exists for eternity. Why? It's perfect. God doesn't mess that up. When God speaks to us, he's speaking from the divine mind. And I think what we see is, is in our lives, we have something that we have to wrestle with a little bit. We're living in a day and an age where all across our country, all across our state, I guarantee you in our city, there's a decline in what we call biblical literacy. It, it's declining sharply, okay? So here's what that means. It doesn't mean that people can't read. It means they're not reading the Bible and they don't have a familiarity with the Bible. And we're not talking about lost people, we're talking about the church. But think about this. You have more access to the Bible than has ever been. On my phone, I have three different Bible apps. Two of them have the Bible in every language imaginable that has been translated. There's, there's a, a Jesus movie attached with those languages. I can read it. I can have it spoken to me. We, we can watch it now in, in ways that we've never been able to do before. 
And it's not because we don't have the resources, it's because we don't have the heart to be prepared with the word. Let that be convicting for every one of us that there's no way that we should be declining in biblical literacy, all of us, myself included. We should be growing in what the word says for us because God's given it to us. And we can't say that we love Jesus and not the word. Why? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We, we can't say that, that we love Jesus and not his word. He is the word. So for us this morning, as we think about running through the holiday season, be prepared with the word. Open the word this week. Let God speak to you. Let, let the pages jump, I mean, let the words jump off the pages from what you're reading and, and understand your situational circumstances need to be contextualized in the word of God. Let God do that in your life so that as you see the world unfold in front of you, you'll have an answer. You'll know. You'll understand. Wisdom doesn't come from the acquiring of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do we know from the word? I want to ask you this week, how is your heart? I mean, if, if we were having a cardiology moment here and the Holy Spirit is our spiritual doctor that, that looks at us and says, man, the condition of your heart, not too good today. Where's your heart? How is it? Is it prepared with faith? Are you ready to see God do great things in your life for his glory and his kingdom's purposes? Are, are you ready to obey the Lord? Are you prepared to obey him? To bloom where you're planted and, and serve the Lord right here, right now for this season of life, wherever he may have you? Are you prepared to obey him? Prepared to praise him. We don't need a rock to take our place. We come before the Lord with thanksgiving on our lips and joy in our mouth. And we begin to praise him and lift up the name of Jesus. And something about that changes everything. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared this week with the word? And I don't say these things so that you walk in and go like, man, I feel real bad about myself. No, it's a checkup. We want our hearts to be prepared for Christmas. Why? So that as we move through these next couple of weeks, God begins to speak to us afresh and anew and awaken something in our lives that's bigger than us. It's bigger than just me. It's bigger than you. It's for the city. It's for the state. It's for the world. But it starts today with our hearts. Can I ask you this morning, would you bow your head? Close your eyes. Just take a moment with me. How is your heart? Just a conversation for you to have with the Lord right now. And maybe the Lord says, man, you're doing so good. I love where your heart's at right now. I love that it's fully devoted to me. I'm excited about that. 
Maybe today faith needs to be awakened in you for the first time. You've never given your life to Christ. Why not today? What would keep you from serving the Lord? Place your faith in him and live for him. Trust him. Maybe like me this week, your faith needs to be reawakened. The faith that we had last week, the faith that we had last month or last year is a great building block, but we need the Lord to reawaken our faith with Christmas this year and us to be prepared for that, that God's gonna do great things this year. God's promises haven't fallen short. Maybe it's time to prepare with praise. An attitude of praise. Obedience. Father, as we enter this time, we ask you just to examine our hearts and prepare us for what you're doing as we celebrate the birth of the Savior. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Not just that He came, but Lord, that he lived and died in our place and rose from the dead. Father, we praise your name this morning and we ask you to prepare our hearts as we are preparing our homes and we ask you to make us ready for Christmas. Father, open our eyes to the full meaning of this season as we interact with our loved ones, as we interact with friends and people that will serve us as we're in restaurants or as we're buying things. Lord, would you just open our eyes to the wonderful reality of what Jesus' coming has meant for us. Lord, we praise you now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.